0: From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington Welcome to the Politics Hour Starring Tom Sherwood I'm Kojo Nnamdi Tom Sherwood is our resident analyst and contributing writer for Washington City Paper. Tom Sherwood, welcome.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Later in the broadcast, we'll be joined by Libby Garvey, the chair of the Arlington County Board. But joining us now is Alyssa Silverman, an at-large member of the D.C. Council. Alyssa Silverman, welcome.
2: Good afternoon, Kojo, and I want to wel- I, I wish Tom Sherwood a very happy birthday. I hear he turned 25 yesterday.
0: Really? Tom Sherwood actually has birthdays? I never knew that. (laughs) More
1: inaccurate information from the council.
0: (laughs) It's the only
2: inaccurate thing I will say today.
0: Well, maybe more about that later. Tom Sherwood, even as we speak, Mayor Bowser is announcing that the district is releasing body cam footage from three police shootings in 2018. The council, you may remember, passed a law requiring that footage be released within five days in the case of fatal incidents. D.C. Council is introducing a more permanent version with hearings beginning soon. It's my understanding that the footage being released today is from the uh, killing of three men in 2018. Is that your understanding, Tom Sherwood?
1: Uh, Yes, that's correct. um, It's been an ongoing controversy about what good are body cameras if the police uh, don't release the information from them. So today, uh, the mayor, I would think, I guess in reaction to the law, but she released information on 24-year-old Daquan Young, who was shot and killed by an off-duty police officer in May of 2018. 22 year old marquis austin who also was shot and killed in a confrontation with an officer on patrol in june of 2018.
0: and i think we just lost tom sherwood as he was about to give us the name of the third individual who was involved in that and that would be jeffrey price uh daquan young marquise austin and jeffrey price care to comment on this council member silverman
2: Uh, Well, Kojo, I haven't had the ability to watch uh, the mayor's press conference today, but I'll just say that... All efforts toward transparency uh, and releasing the body cam uh, footage is a good thing. We want to build trust in our police department. I, and uh, I, it sounds like, as I said, I haven't been able to watch the mayor's press conference, but it sounds like those uh, she is making efforts uh, to do this. And I'm glad that if it was in reaction to what we've done at the cl- council, I'm glad that she is adhering to the law.
0: I think we've got Tom Sherwood back. Did you have, want to add anything to what you were saying, Tom? I, find I gave all three names.
1: Uh, well, no, I think that's important. And, uh, you know, this has been an ongoing issue. The police department says, one, body cam footage doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. And, and, and two, um, it's quite the impo- imposition bureaucratically to keep track of all this video from several thousand officers. But as the council member was just suggesting, this is a... Um, a movement across the country to make it more clear what police officers are doing. And yes, while it may be burdensome and it may be expensive for the good of the public's confidence in the police departments, we need to have a better understanding of what they're doing.
0: Let's start with this week's DC Council meeting, where you voted on the laws that go along with the 2021 fiscal year budget. One amendment yeah. of yours that passed changed the eligibility for DC's cash assistance program. Mm-hmm. What did that What did that change achieve?
2: Well, it achieved uh, some very important things, Kojo. First, and this is, was a theme throughout the day. Um, there, were, we need to focus our resources. Uh, on those families who are struggling the most in our city to get by. We do not want these families to fall into the economic abyss. And what this bill uh, did was uh, clarify who is eligible for a program that was actually started by Events DC, um, our Sports and Entertainment Commission, to provide uh, financial assistance to families, to workers who are ineligible for unemployment insurance. There are many people in our city who do important work, keep our city humming. Um, They are landscaping. They are helping take care of our children, braiding hair, and so forth. They work in the cash economy, and because they work in a cash economy, they can't, Uh, get unemployment assistance or even the expanded unemployment assistance. So this bill did a few things. First, it clarified who's eligible. Uh, It also made the income non-taxable, which is really important because right now for those families who are struggling to survive this pandemic, every dollar counts. Uh, It also said that by receiving this money, it doesn't make them ineligible for other programs, uh, for example, our, our Health Care Alliance, which provides health insurance uh, to some of these families. And it also did one... Really important thing, which is say to our nonprofit partners, people like Mary Center, organizations like Mary Center, who are helping hand out the assistance, that um, they can pay for some of their administrative costs. You know it costs money to hand out money, um, so it allowed some of our nonprofit partners um, to be able to cover their costs to administer the program.
0: Well, Chairman Phil Mendelssohn and Portford board Ford council member Brandon Todd voted against the amendment, citing issues with how eligibility is defined in the bill. Chairman Mendelson said that the program could be abused. I'm assuming that somebody can say, look, I cut grass for a living and I haven't been doing able to do it for a while because people haven't been employing me. But how do you identify and prove that?
2: Well, I mean, Kojo, the question is, do we cast a wide or a narrow safety net? Um, And I believe we needed to cast a wide safety net to make sure that we were helping these families, like the example you gave, the grass cutter, who can't, who doesn't have an 1199, is not a W-2 employee, can't prove that they've lost income. Uh, And I yeah, I just feel for $1,000 uh, family, uh, we want to help as many families as possible with this program. And I think that the focus on abuse or misuse um, is less important than making sure that we get resources to families who need the help the most so that we don't exacerbate already existing inequities in our city.
0: Tom Sherwood.
1: Councilmember, thank you for being with us today. Uh, I don't think anyone disagrees, or maybe some do, that that uh, you've got to re- reach the people who are the most vulnerable during this pandemic. The council mm-hmm. voted 11 to 2 for your amendment. to. Ex- I think it's a $9 million appropriation that would be used to pay these grants, which would be one-time $1,000 grants. Is that correct?
3: That's correct.
1: Okay. but And as Koja was just asking, People have been asking me, and I've been in council members ask at the session, you don't want to not help anyone because you might help some who aren't uh, eligible, but how are you going to determine, I think you said on the dais that uh, that the day laborers who work on the streets and get picked up for a day and get paid at the end of the day don't have their job. I think you specifically mentioned sex workers who are not working. If, but how, how is it going to work? I understand Events D.C. is going to dole out the money, and not dole out. It's going to give out the money to various nonprofits who will then determine who's going to get the money. But what what will be the criteria for it? Could it as I understood, some of the council members technically would be eligible. And you guys, and I apologize for going on, but you passed this at 11 to 2, with the understanding mm-hmm. you would come back and maybe more narrowly, clarify or define who would be eligible is that still going to happen
2: so tom we've already handed out five million dollars uh events dc has already handed out five million dollars of assistance through it's not events dc isn't handing out the money they are partnering with groups that work with uh Workers and residents of our city who are in the cash economy, but and uh, me, it's been a very. That, but I'm going to point out to you, Tom. I haven't heard a peep from anyone about abuse of that first five million. That first five million has already abuse. been I'm handed talking, out. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm not talking about abuse because obviously there would be okay. some. I'm talking about how are you going to know what to do? That initial five million was specifically for undocumented workers. It is now a larger expanse to excluded workers. So well, how when do you, you
2: prove you're an undocumented worker? I mean, that's, that's the point I was making on the day. It's no one coming up and saying I'm undocumented. They don't want to do that.
1: So, that's, yes, And that's what that's we right, were. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm trying to look right. positively, not negatively. So you give money, a, a bread for the city or some organization that works right. really hard in this city for the people who are most damaged by this pandemic and just normal life. So, what is the guidance to them when people walk in the door, or do they have to apply? I mean, how, how is it going to work so people would know? They, listening they to have to even? apply,
2: and uh, and we are working with, you know, groups like. Mary Center, uh, like Iuda, um, to and, and they are administering the program. Um, you know, I think the concern really gets down to, well, are people going to take this money who don't really need it? I think most people, most families... That's not what families- I'm saying. I, I okay. agree what, with you. What, yeah.
1: I, I, but how would a person who may be listening to this program... I guess a person knows that they have no income and no program so they can So there is would, an application process. Go? Where would they go and what would they do? The people who are not cheating the program right. but want okay. to use the program, what would they do?
2: Well, I'm excited that maybe more people are learning about this opportunity. Uh, they are going to go to the nonprofit partners that are partnering. We are actually allocating this money to Events DC, and we are working with the partners that they've already identified for that first $5 million to then expand to the additional $9 million okay. that we've allocated in this budget. And there is an application process. And I'm happy to have you talk with people like Maria Gomez, who I know have been on this program before, to explain to you how they distribute the money and make the decisions.
1: Okay. How many people do you think you're going to get to? Hundreds, maybe thousands?
2: Well, uh, I don't have my calculator in front of me, but it's a $1,000 grant and we've allocated 9 million. So I okay. think you gotta remove some zeros and that tells you about how many families will be able to help.
1: The, okay. Um, okay, I'm good on that subject. Um, I meant to say this at the beginning of the program, and she was so nice to mention my birthday. I wanted to mention the passing of your cat of ten, eleven 11 years, oh. Usman. As I always say it wrong, it's Usman or No,
2: you are, you are correct. It's Usman. Thank you, Tom. Um, he was a special kitty.
1: It was a rescue cat, wasn't it?
2: Yes, I adopted him through Washington Animal Rescue League, which I think now is renamed the Humane... Um, rescue alliance and his first donor there's an interesting story in that um, but not alone, though. Not we only have okay, about 20 seconds the quick, left in the, so second. the quick story is his first donor was actually a tremendous champion of racial okay. equity and public education who okay. lived on Capitol Hill
0: gotta take a short break the politics are focusing on birthdays and kittens but you're up next 800-433-8850 I'm Kojo Nandi Welcome back to our conversation with at-large D.C. Councilmember Elissa Silverman. Let's try Justin in Washington again. Justin, are you there now?
4: I am, Kojo. Thank you. Sorry about before. Um, Go ahead.
0: First, Councilmember,
4: I want to thank you for all your work on these issues. You're you're my spirit animal on the council, and I appreciate your <laughs> thank attention Thank you. Them. <laughs> so I run a D.C. wage law, a law firm in D.C. that represents low-wage workers and wage theft issues. And my question is this. Have you considered using debarment as a tool to fight against wage theft? Because a lot of the biggest violators of D.C. wage and hour laws that I see are construction companies that receive millions of dollars from the district each year. Wouldn't it be easy and cost effective for the district simply not to give money to companies like that to kind of perpetuate the problem?
0: Well, I, th-
2: well, first of all, thank you, Justin, and thank you for your work um, and to emphasize wage theft is a big problem. Uh, I will say that we have been working with the Attorney General on this issue and to let listeners know people, there are many ways of robbing workers of their wages. One is not to classify them properly as employees, but instead as contractors. Uh, I imagine this is some of the work you look at, Justin, and what that does is it deprives people of overtime and benefits. Uh, And I know the Attorney General is very interested in this. So one thing we did in this budget is give the attorney general more firepower and resources, um, to combat wage theft. In fact, we added another attorney through my committee, um, to, um, combat wage theft and work on these issues. Um, We are working with Attorney General Racine, who has really been terrific, and the head of his division, Randy Chen, on this. So we're happy to talk with you, Justin, about strategies and possibly this strategy um, to discourage, uh, what we want to do is discourage employers from depriving their uh, workers of a fair day's pay for a fair day's work.
0: Okay, Justin, thank you for your call. Let me move on to Bob in District Heights, Maryland. Bob, your turn.
4: Real quick, I find it appalling that every time you try to do something for poor people, there's this big, big discussion about theft and fraud. Yet, when these banks walk away with millions and billions of dollars and don't do anything for the community, there's very little oversight. I just find it appalling that they're begrudging folks a few bucks. I know somebody who worked over at Nationals Park. They were ecstatic to get the vendor's job, and I'm sure as of this whole pandemic, they have not been able to make a
0: buck. Thank you. Council Member Silverman agrees with you. We can move on. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bob.
2: No, I I appreciate that comment. I mean, just to say, Kojo, there are a lot of voices at the Wilson Building who are lobbying for the well-connected. And I I have to say, Bob, thank you so much for your comment, because I do see my job as being the advocate, being the champion of those who can't hire a lobbyist or email council members a million times to get a a few taxpayer dollars to help them.
0: With everything going on, D.C. workers might have missed that the paid family leave program went into effect on July 1st. Um, Can you give us a brief overview of what this does and what D.C. employees need to know about accessing the benefits?
2: Right. So, Kodra, let me say that the fact that you haven't heard many stories about paid family leave is a testament to the smoothness of this launch. You know, there are a lot of skeptics um, that we would be able to pull off paid family leave. And as my old boss, David Carr, would say, planes landing safely at National, not news. Uh, Planes crashing is. And we've had a smooth glide path so far on paid family leave. So the program is up and running. Um, It has a website, which I should have been prepared to uh, give you, um, but there is a paid family leave website which has all the information about the program, and I know certain people have applied for the benefit. Um, just to remind everyone, even though this was a four-year discussion, uh, what paid family leave would do would allow you to uh, get some compensation during a time when you are facing a, uh, either a health challenge or a really joyous event in your life, welcoming a new child, And it is, the basic formula is eight weeks for parental leave, six weeks uh, of up to $1,000 a week compensation for family leave, and two weeks for um, leave to take care of yourself.
0: What do you say to those people who say, but this still benefits mostly people who live out of the city? There are people who live in the district, pay taxes in the district, but because they don't work in the city, cannot benefit from this.
2: I'd say the same thing about unemployment insurance and the minimum wage. You know, this is a uh, worker benefit, uh, and what we need to do is make sure that we have more uh, district residents working in our city. Uh, no offense, I, obviously, I grew up in Baltimore, and my parents live in Maryland. No offense to Maryland or, or Virginia residents, but I want to see every job in the district occupied by a district resident, worked by a district resident, and that way we'll have more uh, of the benefit go to district workers.
0: Tom Sherwood. Uh,
1: Councilmember, that that, uh, website, if you want to know about paid family leave, is dcpaidfamilyleave.dc.gov. dcpaidfamilyleave.dc.gov. Let me ask you about elections. We're running out of time. Before the June 2nd primary, you had expressed concerns that there were going to be trouble with so few precincts and people not having ballots and not getting ballots that they had requested. Um now the mayor and the and the board has actually said it's going to the Board of Elections, it's going to send a ballot a ballot to every registered voter. Are you confident now that we're on the right track to have a decent election on November the third?
2: Well yes uh, in that I think the council and council member Allen just uh, and the mayor just released the new plan for November 3rd in terms of election day precincts being right. 80 open precincts.
1: 80 instead of 144
2: I think the lesson learned, uh, Tom, is we need to uh, work with the board, stay on top of the board in terms of voter education. Uh, many voters didn't realize that there was early voting. I mean, there there are challenges with having an election in the pandemic um, and that it, it, for in-person voting, that's about maintaining social distance. So I would encourage all voters uh, who, who want to vote in person and don't want to vote by mail for whatever reason take advantage of early voting. I'm one of those converts who I used to love voting on election day and saw it as a big deal. But now I'm an early voter. I like voting early because you get you get that vote in the, uh, you know, completed and and done. Um, So I would encourage our residents to take advantage of the early voting sites that will be open. Certainly vote by mail uh, is a very good way to vote. Uh, And uh, I think if we uh, follow through on the lessons learned from the primary, we will have a very successful general
4: election.
0: Here's Camille in Lorton, Virginia. Camille, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Kojo, oh, my son is 51 years old, disabled, living in the district, and he was robbed, mugged, and lost all his ID. He's been able to recover uh, most of his IDs. He cannot get his driver's license because he also was in the process of moving. The, I have spoken to the Office of the Deputy Mayor for Infrastructure, who oversees the DFV, and they have said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. That, that simply is not possible. That means that he cannot get medical care other than in an emergency room. He cannot get psychotropic medications that he takes because he has no ID to prove who he is, even though he has, you know, mirrored other things. But he doesn't have a photo ID. And that that there is no one in the entire District of Columbia that can help them. We know that, that sounds
0: like a terrible dilemma, Alyssa Silverman. What advice would I you give to Camille I am going to offer up help,
4: help
2: of my constituent services director, Kojo. So I think we're at the end of the segment, and if yep. Camille can stay on the line and connect with me, we will we will work through this. But I think it shows the importance of having ID. It is critical uh, to getting housing, health care, and I'm sorry you've gone, your son's gone through this, Camille, but we'll try to we'll we'll do our best to help him.
0: Camille, we'll get your number and pass it on to Council Member Silverman. Um, Tom Sherwood, 30 seconds.
1: No, well, I don't think we have a question that Melissa can answer in 30 seconds. But uh, I'm just still concerned about the voting that people are going to. But um, she's reassured me I am too, today. Tom. OK, uh, I
2: am, too. And I think Councilmember Allen, uh, the mayor and you know what hap- we need to learn from what happened in the primary. And I will be focused on that. I think other my colleagues at the council are we need to have a successful election. Uh, and uh, we are focused okay. on making sure that happens.
0: This Silverman. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. It's always too short, Kojo, but thank you and happy birthday again, Tom.
0: This is an at-large member of the D.C. Council. We're going to take a short break. Up next, Libby Garvey, chair of the Arlington County Board. I'm Kojo Nnamdi. Welcome back. Our guest is Libby Garvey, the chair of the Arlington County Board. Libby Garvey, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, I'm delighted to be back, and I understand birthday wishes are due to Tom. Is that true? No more, no
1: more wishes.
3: Oh, Tom, Tom, get all the good wishes you can. Good energy is good at our age.
0: Tom was born before they kept record of birth, so we don't exactly <laughs>
3: <laughs> remember It days. was about the same time I was born. <laughs> no, they were keeping records, Kedja.
0: Tom Sherwood, can we briefly talk about Cheryl Glenn, the former Maryland delegate who was sentenced to two years for bribery fraud? She is, of course, a delegate from the city of Baltimore, and she was accused of and convicted of taking nearly $34,000 in bribes having to do with her cannabis advocacy, and she accepted money in exchange for supports and measures for a bill that she was promoting, and it uh, looks like she's going to be facing at least two years in jail.
1: Yes, this is another ex- sad example of uh, legislators in Maryland. We may have to start questioning their their statehood, just like people do in our district when something goes wrong here. But no, this is actually a fairly sad case. I mean, she was elected. Cheryl Glenn in Baltimore was elected in 2006. She was a respected member of the legislature. She became an expert uh, on uh, on the efforts to have medical marijuana in the state. But then it, she sold. She pled guilty. She wasn't convicted. She pled guilty to taking $34,000 in bribes and trying to steer monies uh, to other companies that would take advantage of the marijuana issue. Uh, The judge said uh, sentencing called this a deliberate scheme, that she sold her influence. She resigned last December, and um, she had pled guilty, and now she has been sentenced to two years in jail.
0: Um, Libby Garvey, other parts of Virginia, like Hampton Roads, have seen a surge in coronavirus cases. How is Arlington County doing?
3: Well, we're doing okay. Uh, We're going up and down a little bit day over day. We get about an average of 38 cases a day. Um, And we've really just kind of kept things steady, which is kind of good news and bad news. We're not spiking, that's good, but we're not going down. Um, And we're, I think, concerned is a lot of places i think they you know Hampton Roads they've chased it back it's a lot of um mostly young people congregating in bars and not paying attention to you know social distancing and mask wearing and that's a, that's a big problem
0: <clears throat> does the county have adequate testing and contact tracing to keep up with current coronavirus numbers
3: uh you know, we don't – adequate, yeah. Well, we don't have what we need. Uh, testing is run through the state, um, and we are about to um, launch some testing that's uh, not the nasal swab but the sp- a spit test, which is a lot easier to administer. And we're working hard to make sure that basically anybody who wants to get a test can get one. But we're not there yet. Um, you know, we're, we're affected by the national issues as much as anybody else. And again, needing to work through the state, there's a limited amount of tests, so we don't have as many as we would like. Um, but we're doing better than most, I guess, uh, would be a way of putting that. Um, but we absolutely need more. I mean, the whole country does, right? It's just ridiculous where we are. I'm confident on a test on contact tracing, by the way. I will say, uh, um, because We've had good contact tracing for a long, long time, and we're, we're, we're ahead of it. I think we've got the best in the state. We're fine on that. But, of course, contact tracing isn't any good if you can't get the results back from the test within mm-hmm. a reasonable amount of time. And we're seeing that amount of time expand. And so if it's 10 days between a test and getting the results back, what good does the contact tracing do, really? Um, so, it's, it's a national problem. We're all affected by it. We're doing the very best we can here. Um, but as you've seen, we're on the local, you know, the lower jurisdictions like Arlington, we're kind of on our own to try to get testing. We have some support from the state, not as much as we need, and none on the federal level. It's pretty, you know, it's difficult. Sometimes it feels like Groundhog Day, guys. You know, we're kind of almost going back to where we were in uh, April.
0: Tom Sherwood. At
1: the top of the show, we talked about Mayor Bowser releasing some body um, police body cam video of three controversial shootings in 2018. The arlington board i watched the session from last uh the last saturday you are going to move forward with body cams for police officers and fire marshal's office and sheriff's office for the people who don't know much about it if, if briefly as possible where just you've passed this and and you're going to implement this at the beginning of the year what steps are needed and w- once you do have it yeah. what will be your policy on releasing video which seems to come up in several jurisdictions
3: yeah, so we're working through a lot. I will say that the you know we have we've looked at body worn cameras before and actually have been thinking about it. We we were planning to to look at adopting it in this budget way back in January. So we're fairly prepared and we have cameras in our car our cars and have for a long time. Um, what's involved? What's taking time? So what we voted on is one yes to adopt it and, and and bring them on and then the money to make that happen. It's not only you know purchasing the cameras sometimes. I think people might think it's just a matter of putting a cell phone on your pocket, right, and turning it on. It's it's not that. that. This is real cameras. Well, and they also have to tie into the court system. So, among the expenses and what we're doing is setting up the court system with facilities to use the video from the cameras to be able to show it. Right now it's on little tiny screens. When when
1: will citizens know that their police officers and public safety people are wearing those cameras? Is that is the target date January?
3: January. Mm -hmm. Yep. January,
1: 2021. Will will you allow that video to be accessed in freedom of information request? What will be that rule or has that been decided yet?
3: I, I don't think it's been decided. I think it's fair to say that we will follow the law and do the most we can to be transparent. And I really, I'm not a lawyer, and I haven't even gotten a briefing okay. on that aspect if, of it yet. If
1: Cojo let me, I'll also ask you about something else you talked about on, on the last session, and that is moving forward with the state's approval to limit the uh, guns, that guns mm-hmm. cannot be allowed in county buildings or used or owned by the county, county parks, recreation or community center facilities in the public streets or public places. that's a pretty brief, uh, sweeping thing. I listened to a lot of the people who called in to, uh, on your Zoom meeting. Congratulations on how well it was run. But there were any number of people who said you were interfering in their ability. One woman called in, said she was African-American, had two children, and that she felt uncomfortable going to some of the city parks without maybe taking her concealed permit with her into the parks. That gun will not be allowed in the parks now. Um, how important is this for Arlington? When will this go into effect?
3: So this we're looking to have a public hearing in September and we would adopt it if we in some form in September and then we would implement it, but we would have to have um, before we can do that, it ha- there have to be signs everywhere that the guns are um, prohibited. So whatever amount of time it takes to put up those signs. And I, th- I think there's I've had some very good conversations with you probably know I'm a, I'm a Quaker um, and g- people carrying guns is, is pretty foreign to me. Um, but I think people have come up with, you know, reasonable concerns and worries, and we're going to talk those through uh, and work it out. We are basing our um, ordinance on On what the state passed. And it's also very similar to what um, Alexandria passed. Um, So that that's how the form that's how the format came forward. Um, And I think we're going to I'm already had a number of conversations with gun owners, particularly it's the concealed carry folks um, who are very concerned and I'm, you know, perfectly willing to talk to them and think it through. We are not a lot of, there was a lot of fear about being trapped because apparently some people wear guns like clothes. So they just walk around with them and don't even realize they have them and they're concerned they will go into okay, a park
0: so and that, get arrested That will be a public hearing in September.
3: That will be a public okay. hearing in September and okay. then it'll take a while to in, to implement. Hmm.
0: Here is Julius Spain, the president of the Arlington County NAACP in Virginia. Um, Julie Spain, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Well, thank you. Hello, Madam Chair, and uh hope hey. all this is well. Hey, hey, thank hey, you and your Mr. team. Mr. President, nice to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah, thank <laughs> you and your team for everything you're doing with COVID-19. So you're aware we're the Arlington branch NAACP. We've taken a position as it relates to our the logo here in Arlington. One of the questions some of the members wanted to know and perhaps hear from you is, how do you view the logo? And do you believe that it memorializes in any way, shape, or form? A slave plantation. And on the back side of that, I'd like you to address a statement you made in Arlington Now where you stated community engagement and a good, solid conversation needs to be had. What does that look like uh, for us here in Arlington Now? What can we expect? Because we also know that there's been a number of citizens that have already addressed this issue with the county board. And so that our listeners know what he's talking about, the NAACP is calling on the county to replace its logo and seal, which features Arlington House, the home that belonged to Confederate General Robert E. Lee, which is now a memorial to him, run by the National Park Service. Please go ahead, Libby Garvey.
3: Yeah, no, thank you. And so we've been getting a request to change not only our logo and seal, we've been getting requests to put names on bridges, change names of streets and highways and buildings and, and community centers. So there are a lot of these kinds of requests coming in. Um, and I think we need to come, we don't really have a set process um, for this number and differing kinds of requests coming in. And they're all, you know, around this issue of racial equity and how are we going to look at our history. And I, I have been learning a lot of interesting history. One of the things I learned about um, the, the the logo, the house and the logo, is you know it was done. In, it was first built in eighteen, begun in eighteen oh three, and it was George Washington's um, stepson, an adopted son that. Um, yeah, that, that ordered it to be built. Lee didn't live there very long. It actually came to him through the Washington family, the Custis family. Um, he didn't live there long, left, and actually Arlington Cemetery was put in place to make sure he couldn't come back. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Marquis de Lafayette's been there. So there's a lot of interesting history that I really didn't know or had forgotten, and so I'm looking at that. But the question really is, so how are we going to decide how to do that? And we're getting a lot of different requests. And there are so many issues we need to work through with racial equity. We are planning a series of roundtable conversations this fall. We have not gotten all of the details worked out. We're going to be having um, some professional groups helping to um, facilitate those conversations and hoping to have really lots and lots of in-depth conversations about racial equity and what it needs.
0: You've created yeah. a new position called the Chief Race and Equity Officer, who Deputy we County Manager Samir Byrd was yeah. named to that position earlier this month. What role will that officer play in this conversation?
3: Uh, she's actually working out the details of how, about how we're going to have that conversation right now. It's one of her first and early tasks, um, obviously along with looking at our police procedures. So I'm looking at a good conversation about history and what does it mean? What do we want to honor? What do we need to remember? We can't forget our history. And I do want to say, um, Julius, to you and, and, and to everybody, I, I, You know, the more I think about it, the issue, I think, is this systemic is, is systemic racism, and how are we going to tackle that? And I don't want to get pulled away from that on naming things. Um, it's an absolutely important part of the conversation, but the prize, the prize is, is dealing with systemic racism. So I want to do it the right way and have some really good conversations um, and figure this out, because it doesn't really matter what I think about the seal. It matters what the people of Arlington County think about it and what they want.
0: Thank you very much for your call, Julia Spinn. Arlington County Board Member Christian Dorsey lost his seat on the Metro Board because he received a $10,000 donation from the agency's largest transit union and he failed to report it to Metro. He promised to refund the money to the union in November and after falsely saying that he did so in January, he wrote the check in February. Last week, the Washington Post reported that the check was never cashed. According to the union, it was lost in the mail, and the check was not listed on the board member's mid-year campaign finance, filance, f- finance filan- filing that was due this month. What's going on here? Have you talked to, with your colleagues about this at all?
3: I've talked to – I've certainly talked to Christian. What he, He's pretty frustrated with the whole thing as well. He's, there's a picture of the check. He says he sent the check in. The union says they got it. They didn't. It's not been deposited. What Christian's told me is he's now trying to get the bank routing number and stuff so we can just do an electronic co- uh, transfer and is having trouble getting that number from them. And that's all I know. Tom Sherwood?
1: well i don't want, unfortunately i don't want to leave it there because I spoke about this fairly harshly last week um, he's frustrated i can't imagine what the citizens of the county are. I mean you were frustrated too because you thought it had been fixed and, and he misled the county in January. If he has ten thousand dollars he can you know he has to walk it over in a wheelbarrow. I don't understand why Mr. Mr. Dorsey, who is well liked personally by many people, has allowed this to fester. He either has the money or he doesn't, and saying he's waiting for a routing number or or, or replacement of the check and all of that makes no sense. If he has 10, and I know he filed for personal bankruptcy last October, and again is a person that many people like, this is it sounds to me like this is almost disqualifying to serve on the board he should have cleared this ten thousand dollars and he should have done it in july he knew he knew when he had to file his report that he didn't file that the check had been cashed, and then he acted surprised that it was lost. And this is not the union's fault for this ten thousand dollar check. It's Mr. Dorsey, and he seems to be just sliding away from this. And the board hasn't sanctioned it to my knowledge. Have you sanctioned him? Have you criticized him publicly? Have you told him to get this fixed? I've,
3: I've, certainly ta- I've certainly talked to him about how important that is to do. I think he understands that. Um, I have not done now, all now kinds now of research. And I'm August. not, you know, so Tom, yeah, Tom, the, and the, he, he maybe could walk it over in a wheelbarrow, you know, that that's, that's maybe where he will end up doing it. In COVID, that's maybe not a good idea. Um, but this is really Mr. Dorsey's issue. And I think if you want to talk to him about it, you can. I would like to put it in perspective. It's $10,000. That's not really very much money. It's a lot of money to some people. But, but Ms. we Ms. are in well, the we middle of a we're in the middle there. of a it's pandemic not, not right now. $10, it's ten
1: thousand it's ten thousand dollars from the principal union at Metro while he was serving on the Metro board. It's not just the amount. It could have been five hundred dollars. Yes, the amount maybe counts in the long term. We are talking ten thousand dollars. That's a lot of money.
3: Yes, and it's out there and it's public and he says he's trying to return it um and who am i to tell him that that's not you know what what am i well, supposed to be telling him the So chair can, of the board you can you can't yeah but i, I know
1: you have like to told us before that yeah. you like him i liked him and when i've dealt with him he's been pretty i think straight up with me but it could linger this check out there i just think it it makes the whole board look bad
3: no, That's I think it's it's, defi- it's definitely a problem. It's definitely a problem, and I can't walk the – there's only so much that I can do about it. I will continue to say that Mr. Dorsey is a valued member of the board, and we're lucky to have him on the board here, and I hope this gets, gets settled because this is – yeah, it's frustrating, it's annoying, and I assume he will get it fixed.
1: Can I, can I ask a co we if I jump in on the graffiti. There was also – there was some controversy about graffiti that was removed – in Farlington and part of Arlington County some people had put up some Black Lives Matter material then some other people for Mm -hmm. Trump put up some Trump 2020 stuff and there was a conflict Mm -hmm. there and the the public works people I think erased it all where are we now Uh, where is graffiti in terms of can I put graffiti up on public space now and not worry about it or where are we on graffiti
3: no you're not supposed to put graffiti on public spaces and it's supposed to be removed within three days no matter what it says we just in fact what we realized was we didn't have an ordinance. Um, In fact, the manager did this. It wasn't something the board had to vote on so that anything that's put up will be removed within three days. Given all of the work we've got going on, a chalk, you know, you use a little common sense. If it's going to rain in the next day or two, the rain will wash it away. So we're trying to use some common sense, but absolutely we need to treat all of the messages the same because that's part of the basis of our constitutional democracy that we're trying desperately to hang on to these days.
0: Uh, We got an email from someone who said, I was wondering if you could ask Chair Garvey what her position is on the November referendum in Virginia to establish a bipartisan, transparent, citizen-led commission to draw the 2021 electoral district lines and end gerrymandering in our state. As a former Democratic Capitol Hill staffer, I learned that the two issues that can really transform politics and partisanship are the end to gerrymandering and campaign finance reform. The Arlington County Democratic Committee will be voting on supporting or opposing the amendment next week. Libby Garvey?
3: Yeah, uh, getting rid of gerrymandering, I absolutely support. There is um, a group, I think it's called One Virginia. I give them money. I've been supporting that effort for, for a while. It makes sense. I hope we can do it nationwide. But okay. I, that said, I need to look at the you know I haven't looked at the details of this particular one. Often the devil is in the details. But I absolutely support Jared. No gerrymandering. Let's just do it you know, based as um, in a non political way as we can. Let's just make sure everybody's vote counts.
0: And Ashley tweets: Will the board help Arlington Public Schools with its twelve point five million dollar deficit?
3: We are helping the Arlington Public Schools in every which way that we can um, and if they need help with that we and we've got the money to do it we will we've been in, in discussion with um, with the superintendent and with board members about that we're all trying to figure out where we are right now financially as is the rest of the country <clears throat> and we you know need to figure that out but absolutely we support the schools I didn't spend 15 years on the school board to forget about the schools.
0: The county is launching a review of police practices with a report to come by the end of the year. The report will be conducted by two outside experts and a 15-member civilian review panel. What will that panel do? And I guess even more important, what kind of power will it have?
3: You know, you probably should invite Samia Bird to be on your show. <laughs> She's doing that too. It's a thought. Uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. The, the, the panel right now, the group right now is to help process the, the, the research that's being done and the analysis that's being done will be reported to them and they will come to us with, with recommendations. And I can't tell you right now what those recommendations will be because we haven't gotten that far.
0: Well, the aforementioned Julia Spann, who called in on the broadcast early, the president of the Arlington County NAACP, said that if a civilian review board is created, he'd like the board to have subpoena power. Is that something that you would support?
3: I, it's not something that we need to look at, and I will correct it. It isn't on the civilian review board. We haven't said if it's a matter of of how and what the details are. We are bas- we are committed to doing a civilian review board, but the form that will take we don't know exactly, and that's part of what this group will be working on for us and giving us some recommendations.
0: Tom Sherwood,
1: uh, let's go back to schools briefly. What is the status for Arlington schools? Is it going to be virtual to start schools? When does it start, and what do parents need to know at this moment?
3: Yeah, it is starting virtually in September. September 8 is going to be the first day and virtually at least into October. Um, and we are working as hard as we can to figure out how we can get students back into the, the classroom and how to be able to do that safely. Um, obviously, that's the school systems. Um, that's that's their bailiwick. We are going to support them, but they are looking at everything, and we are supporting them as much as we can, including particularly one of the big issues is childcare. Teachers can't teach if they have their own children they need to watch, right? Um, so there is that, as, as well as with our own employees. We are looking at repurposing a couple of our community centers. Centers, um, to actually help, help handle some childcare, we've found out that schools are um, able to be uh, to be used for childcare. But what we're looking at with and working with schools is not so much childcare. We call it virtual learning support. We've got to find some ways to make sure that as long as students are learning virtually, they've got the support they need to do that. And finally, um, we have committed to provide the broadband um, and internet that uh, students, every student and every teacher needs. About 10% of our teachers Teachers do not have the internet connection they need at home to be able to even teach virtually the way they need to. Many of our students are in that boat. We are on plan C. We worked through trying to do something called, there are hotspots that were handed out that we helped you know, pay for those, those don't, they don't begin to provide the kind of power that needs to happen. So that doesn't work. Now we're to Comcast Essentials. Comcast is being very slow about setting it up. And again, there are kind of limits and all kinds of problems with getting that to work. So we are, um, you know, hoping that we can find some other ways to do it uh, and actually use some of the broadband that we've got um, that, that to, to reach those students. This is, it's just absolutely ridiculous that broadband, which should be a utility like water and electricity, is handled the way it is right now. frustrates the heck out of me.
0: Arlington Chief of Police Jay Farr announced he was retiring in September. What do you say about his tenure, and does his departure have anything to do with the current moment?
3: No, I talked to it does not. I'll answer your last question first. Mm-hmm. No, I remember talking with Jay <clears throat> a year or 18 months ago um about his you know that he had retirement plans and planned to planned to be heading out west I think and being closer to family I was looking forward to doing that. I think Jay I you know, we quote, I think Jay has done a great job. Um nobody is perfect, but you know our police department is really recognized as being quite progressive. 75% of our officers are trained in crisis intervention training, which is how to handle mental health um, crises. Um, They're, they're, they're very well trained. They are, uh, community policing is what we look at doing. De-escalation is where we are. But, uh, and I think, so I think we're really well positioned to be taking the next steps we need to do, which is actually looking at what is policing going to look like in the 21st century? Do police need to be doing traffic stops? Probably not. Maybe we need to have another way of doing that. How should we continue to, and should we, continue to involve police in mental health issues? Um, and clearly, a lot of times that's not the right thing, but sometimes people in mental health crisis are a danger to themselves and others, and you need uh, some trained police there to handle that. So that's part of what this group is going to be working, uh, working on. And again, I think Jay set us up very well in a good position to have a police force ready to continue to move forward. We've always been um, progressive, and we're going to continue to stay
0: out in front on issues. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Livy Garvey is chair of the Arlington County Board. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, it's nice to talk to you guys. Hope I talked fast enough. <laughs> it's you sure always, did. <laughs> it's always pretty quick here. It's good to sure talk. To. You guys stay well and stay cool. And happy birthday, Tom. Tom. To Celebrate. Oh,
1: there it is again.
0: Today's show was produced by Sidney Grannon. I'd like to take a moment to give a friend a hard time on his birthday. Tom, I'm sorry to say you are now old enough to be a Washington institution. In print, on television, and on the superlative medium of radio, you've documented the DMV fairly and compassionately ever since the British burned the White House. Keep, hold- keep holding their feet of authority to the fire, and well, your birthday was yesterday. Did you enjoy it?
1: I did. I got some very nice gifts, one of which is being delivered today. I won't get into it, but it starts with a letter R and ends with an M, and it's, it's going to be rum. But okay. um, I'm going to go this afternoon and see the new Martin Luther King Library, which opens in September. I'm getting That's a tour of it. I'm considering that part of my birthday week.
0: That's my gift. Sip it slowly. Coming up Monday, it's all about the books. We first sit down with some professional bookworms to talk about the best reads of the season. Then Kojo for Kids welcomes Fred Bowen, who writes about sports for the Kids Post section of The Washington Post and has just published his 25th sports book. That all starts Monday at noon. In the meantime, have a good weekend and stay safe. I'm Kojo Namdi.
2: The Kojo Namdi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardnier, Richard Cunningham, and Kayla Hewitt. Our managing producer is Inga Lisa Our engineers are Mike Kidd and Rashad Young. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org.